This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. And now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Hello, everyone. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. This episode of Persuasion is sponsored in part by LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible. It's a translation that presents the truth of God's Word with accuracy and clarity. The CSB equips readers for lifelong discipleship with hundreds of designs to choose from at csbible.com. Now, today's conversation continues our current series, Finding Common Ground. And each of these episodes, we are looking at a different aspect of natural revelation and how the world all around us gives us the common ground we are desperately needing and seeking with our fellow humans. So we've covered a variety of commonalities like our shared frailties and our shared call to tend and keep the world. And Hannah, I have to admit that he Here in the midst of winter and a pandemic, I've really enjoyed that episode and discussion on gardening because it reminds me that someday we will be outside and breathing warm, fresh air once again. And so I have set my mind on that all week after our discussion. Yes, I think, you know, we're right in the middle as we speak this polar vortex that has wrapped the entire middle states of America in the kind of winter without Christmas, right? Yes, <laughs> so, that's what it feels like. So there's hope. Spring will come. We will make it through this. Um, but again, I think that kind of presents this dilemma that we're not in spring. It's not perpetual spring. It's not perpetual flourishing. It's not perpetual growth and productivity. And I'm not sure that we know how to hunker down. Oh, my goodness. Well, I've been following all of the news and our friends who live, especially in Texas. I know there are many of the states have been really bombarded and and are in critical need because of the vortex, the winter that has descended upon them. They're just not accustomed and to that kind of weather and the cold. And as I've been reading um, northerners saying, hey, southerners, here's how you survive. <laughs> put on the layers and make sure you put towels down to keep out the drafts. And here's how you keep a room warm and all of these tips and tricks. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is how people of the north realize <laughs> that we live in a different era, a different place, I should say. And we have different modes of surviving and, and tackling these difficulties. But when you see someone or groups of people struggling all together like that, 
it really is a crisis. And I've been following it just because of our friends who live there. It's very concerning. And um, it definitely is making me sense the the urgency and the concern of, ooh, this is real. Like, this is real dire need that people have there. Right. And I think, you know, what I'm observing is it's not that winter doesn't happen. And it's not that we don't have these cycles of cold and heat. But like you said, it's it's a cycle that is unexpected and we're not prepared for. And so you kind of, if you live in the north or you live in a space that, you know, the temperature drops low, you kind of built as a society and as communities your expectations and, and you know what's coming and you can kind of prepare yourself for it, even though it's still going to be hard. I think what is so hard to watch with this right now is that this was not expected. This is not um, common. It, it's out of the blue. And and quite frankly, it has a strong 2020 energy to it, even though we're not in <laughs> 2020 does. anymore. But it's <laughs> been that cycle of what? Something else? Yeah. One As more if thing. we need another thing. Yeah. Yeah. That we didn't know to expect or plan for. And now we're kind of reeling trying to respond to it. Yeah. I I keep thinking about our conversation on the gardening and and as we're moving into this conversation for today, my thought was wow, life really isn't just a stroll through the garden. Like it is not ease, it is not just, you know, bouncing along through fields of flowers. Like it is not like that. And something like the the weather that has descended upon the South and and the difficulties we've had, let's just say all of 2020, let's just say the last couple of years, all the things, it is hard and it, it weighs on us in ways that I don't think we can fully identify. I mean, we see some of the symptoms of it, but I, I think that there is um, a, a bearing on us and a weight on us that affects us in ways that we aren't able to fully acknowledge, but it's like it's coming out sideways. Like we we see roots or symptoms of things, but there, there are roots that we aren't quite sure where they're coming from, but we definitely see the effects of it in our own personal lives. Absolutely. And I think one of the, I don't want to say there's opportunities in every bad thing, but yes, one of the opportunities of these moments is kind of understanding that everyone's going through this at the same time. And so just as we want to kind of ask questions about common good, commonality, common humanity, common work, there is also an opportunity within these moments to recognize that your friends and your neighbors are going through similar struggles, even if they're not exactly the same as yours. And so there's, there's a, I don't know, perhaps an opportunity for understanding and empathy and kind of solidarity that says, oh yeah, we all know this shared experience. And that's the shared experience of struggle, the the shared experience of trying to make life work, but life keeps throwing you curveballs or life keeps doing unexpected things or you're working really hard and you're you're doing what you know to do. And yet there's so many things outside of your control. And I think that kind of 
experience itself has the potential to form bonds with other people. Um, Obviously, we can miss the opportunity, but I think there's something here. I think even the struggle is an opportunity to find that common good. I mean, the struggle is real. For real, it's real. (laughs) And so this is the reality that we all have. I think you are right that this real struggle, the real stuff that we wrestle with day in and day out, we can find connections. And in some ways, those bonds can give us some strength. I think what I, I have seen quite often is that acknowledging that there's a shared struggle, that requires, first of all, some self-awareness, but then also a willingness to say, ooh, I don't have all of this together. And you're willing to identify with other people who are also struggling. So that means you have to have that honest assessment and acknowledge that life isn't perfect, that things aren't ideal. That's hard because in some ways acknowledging it, it's like you're facing the the ugly truth of it. And sometimes it's easier to pretend like, oh, things can be okay. Things will all work out. Well, they don't always work out and it's not always okay. How do you live in that tension of facing reality and acknowledging the truth, finding some strength from it without plummeting into despair? Mm -hmm. No, it's a good question. And one thing that I find very helpful in not denying, you know, helping me accept and see and affirm the brokenness instead of tempting, being tempted to deny it is I really, and I'm going to circle around to this all the time. I really do think this is what nature and creation teaches you. And here's what I mean. If you construct these kind of hermetically sealed bubbles and we have the ability, generally speaking, you know, climate control our homes. We have a stable source of food supply in the modern West. We have all of these kind of man-made features that we use to inoculate ourselves from suffering and the dangers of life. But the truth is, those things are only coping mechanisms. And if we rely on them too much or we misunderstand them or we put our trust in kind of human ingenuity and human capacity, there's going to be a point where that's overwhelmed. There's going to be a point where your power grid goes to rolling blackouts and you can't heat your house and your pipes freeze and you're up against the elements. And I, I even think of that in respect to this global pandemic, like we have convinced ourselves and created wonderful, you know, medical establishment that can defeat so many things that nature throws at us. And yet there's this tipping point where you can't deny the absolute brokenness when a a pandemic is raging. Or when the polar vortex comes to places, it shouldn't be, you know, quote unquote, shouldn't. And so one of the things I think that is we give attention and just kind of lift our heads out of our kind of anthropocentric <laughs> reality where we recognize that even our human power has its limits, we're forced to deal with the fact that this world is broken. Mm. 
And it's broken and also uncontrollable by us. And I think that those two things together make it a little bit scary um, because I don't know, like you said, we've constructed a whole lot of things that keep things in order. And those are good things. I mean, they they do support us. But I think at some point, we presume that we can then control all things. And if only we would set things up in a certain way, then really, we can avoid death itself. And I think that some of these um, ideas of if only we did it a certain way, then all of that hurt will stay away from me, whether it's denying that the the brokenness exists or or pretending like we can control it all by having certain things in our power. I think that we use those things to give us a sense of safety and security and and comfort and really, because the world is broken, I, I in some ways can understand why you'd want that as an escape is, is just to pretend like, oh, we can have all these things the way that we want them to be and nothing will harm me or touch me. I see that a lot, too. It's the fallacy of if I can just control the circumstances, if I can just control the environment, then everything will be what it's supposed to be. And it is the belief that any Fault flaws, any suffering, any kind of difficulty stems from a human error. So, so follow this. If you have placed a lot of confidence in humanity's ability to work in such a way that they can overcome whatever the world throws at you, when you can't overcome, you trace that problem back to, oh, human error. We just weren't doing the right thing. Or what we start doing is we say to other people, you weren't doing the right thing. So your problem is because you didn't use this remedy. And and it goes from everywhere to finances, to our health, to our food. And so a lot of these kind of, I don't know, these narratives that I, I think tend to pop up in the church, quite frankly, about if you would just use this method. If you would just use these oils, if you would just use this natural remedy, if you would just take this approach with parenting, if you would just manage your money this way, then all of your struggles would be gone. Really is very much, it's elevating human power in a way that I believe denies what the scripture teaches about the brokenness of the world. Now, I'm not saying we don't have human responsibility. I'm just saying it's somewhat naive to believe that the solution is found in just a better way of human beings having more control. And I think that so often those um, remedies are presented as if everyone has the same circumstances and the same conditions. And if you would just apply them, then everything turns out the same, almost like it can be uniform. And um, if it worked for me, it should work for you. And without recognizing that there are so many complexities there, it's, um, it's your history, it's your personality, it's your current dynamic, it's whatever support system you have. Like all of those things are different for every single person. But 
when we have some benefit ourselves and our lives are working in a certain way, we just assume, well, I did this. And so there's that a, that tinge of pride, almost like, well, I, the things that have worked for me, they worked for me, they should work for you if you would just do it the way I do it. And so I do think that we try to rationalize away the brokenness in ways that make it controllable or um, conquerable, instead of realizing that each one of us is going to face some struggles that sometimes they're just there. They're, they they are hard and they're complicated and they they're so knotted up. I've I've encountered that myself where it's like this thing is such a a knotted mess. I don't know how to tease this thing out and it could take years. And a lot of times we don't want to take years. We don't we don't want to be with someone in their knotted mess. We want it to be fixed so that it doesn't look so messy. Mm-hmm. And again, I think at the root of this is this assumption of human power and human capacity, and the reverse of that, that any kind of struggle is related to human failure and inability to exercise the appropriate amount of control or power or righteousness or whatever. And I think of, you know, the encounter that Jesus had with the blind man in his ministry, and and people are asking the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? And they're, they're basically framing this suffering to say, look, obviously, this was rooted in human factors. And if these people hadn't done these things, this would not have happened. And and the risk of that, you know, we've already said this, the risk of that is it's very man-centered. It's very, um, it, it tends toward pride because when we're not struggling, when we're flourishing, we tend to think that it is the result of our own power and we judge other people by that. But one of the other things about this approach is that it's fundamentally self-justifying. It's fundamentally a a, a fulfilling prophecy because you basically say, if you aren't struggling, then you are the fittest. You have survived. And so this kind of idea of whoever makes it through the struggle, we don't have grace toward those struggling. We say instead, see, we made it. And that means we're better people and we did right. So so power and success become self-justifying. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group? teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, Hannah, I think you're spot on there. I mean, these thought patterns or these ways of, of assuming 
what is true about people who are struggling and how we view our own successes and then the shame that comes when we do have failure, these are all true. I mean, I, I see them at play in myself. I see them out, you know, amongst my relationships. Like, this is what we do as humans. But then what would be a better way of thinking this through? If we're trying to think through our um, shared humanity, the things that we have in common, this type of thinking where it's me versus you, or I figured it out and you haven't, that's not helping. Like there, that sort of thinking and thought process is not um, helping with the common ground that we need in order to move forward in this life. So, so what would be our better approach? We've got to sort that out. Right. Um, and again, as you mentioned, this kind of thinking actually leads to division. It, it leads to judgment of other people. It leads to isolation because it says, well, I got my act together. You need to get your act together. And it makes every kind of struggle an individual struggle that relies on you making the right choices, finding the right solutions, pursuing the right remedies. And so interestingly enough, you're using the language of think it through. I think that's where we need to start. Like, I think we just need to stop long enough to recognize what we're doing out of a gut instinct, how we're responding culturally, how we've been trained to think. And we need to stop long enough to actually think, like to actually look at the world, look at what we know the scripture teaches about life on this earth and just say the truth and the facts about reality. I'm not even talking about moving toward individual circumstances yet. I mean, like, we just need to be honest about what creation itself teaches us, let alone what the scripture teaches us about life on this earth. Mm -hmm. And what it teaches us is that it's a mess. <laughs> I mean, I think, again, thinking back to our gardening conversation, it's like, I, I am not great at gardening. But one thing that grows really well would be any kind of weed. Like if I don't take care of my garden, my plots out back, my flowers that I purposefully planted will be overrun by a whole bunch of things that I didn't plant. It does get to be a mess. Like that's chaos. Like this is a great picture for this is the life that we are trying to sort through and to try to tend and cultivate. It's going to have all of these different things present and a lot of it we can't control. So that is reality that we've got to, you know, land on that yeah, is the like, first piece. I don't understand how we could look at the earth and we see natural disasters and we see disease and we see all of these things that we call emergencies, right? And then we come into kind of man-made structures and we're like, none of that applies. Like that's just <laughs> in nature that we have natural disasters. That's just in nature that we have to have federal emergency management administration that, that can respond to these things that somehow only happen over here. And I'm saying the fact that natural disasters exist the fact that disease and, you know, drought and polar vortexes exist and catch us off guard is not testament to the fact that nature is acting out of the ordinary, but that we have constructed realities that have not factored in 
brokenness. We have structured our lives and our societies and even our churches sometimes to presume flourishing without a good category for saying, actually, what's happening in nature is more the norm than we want to acknowledge. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that whole idea of how we assume that our conditions are ideal, and that's what all of our planning is around, like you're saying, we we presume everything's going to work. And so all of our plans are based on ideal conditions, when really, the conditions are never ideal, like our life, our lives will never be ideal. And so this has been sort of the joke, like over the years of if everyone keeps saying I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. And for years you say it, it's like, okay, you're not busy. Like this is just life. Life is just full Um, or whatever. Or whenever you say something like, oh, as soon as I get this thing done, it'll be better. It's like, no, it won't because then there'll be another thing. And so conditions will not be neat and tidy and ideal. But then what does nature show us in that? And the reality is things still move forward, even in less than ideal conditions, because that is nature. And so what can we learn from that? What can we see about how things still move forward and and progress and grow, even when conditions aren't what you want them to be? And that's because we find ways to grow and we find ways to adapt in the middle of circumstances that we would never pick. Right. And I think that's kind of the opposite side of the coin of how we use the idea of the survival of the fittest, where we're self-justifying and we say those who survive are the ones who should survive and they have overcome. And, and we, we kind of use that as a source of self-justification, of pride, that sort of thing. I think we don't want to deny that there is kind of a survival instinct built within the creation and within ourselves. But but the way we should look at it is not in terms of, um, you know, the survival of the fittest, but life finds a way that despite the brokenness, the creation is geared toward and it is moving toward life. And so as we enter into the brokenness, we have to hold two things um, very firmly. It's a paradox, but we have to hold both of them, which is the world is broken, but life finds a way. And it's that same paradox of the um, already not yet that theologians talk about, that there are certain realities about our redemption and our spiritual life that are already true, but we are not yet experiencing them. And so as we engage in the struggles of life, we have to have both. We have to have the reality that says, yes, these are just the conditions. They are not ideal. There are struggles, there are hurdles, there is brokenness in this life, and you cannot judge yourself or other people based on a baseline of ideal conditions and uninterrupted flourishing. That's not a real baseline on which we should judge our our lives or our progress. At the same time, within that struggle, there is the hope of life. There is the hope of resurrection. And something that I've been kind of chewing on for years is something I read from Brene Brown. She 
has a couple of different things where she teases out this idea, do we presume that everyone is doing the best that they can? Like when we look at someone and they are struggling and we think, well, why don't they just do this? Why don't they just do that? That that self-justifying, well, I've figured it out. How come they can't? Where she's saying, do you look at people in their struggle and say, wow, they're, they're trying? Like realizing that people are doing what they can with the conditions they have, with the resources they have. And no one is choosing to say, you know what, I would really like to make my struggle worse. I would really like that. Like no one thinks that. No one is purposefully trying to make their life harder. And so if you look at someone's life and you realize they're struggling and you don't understand it, it's probably because there are layers of things going on that you don't see and that you aren't aware of. And so you can't just presume, well, they're just not even bothering or they're not trying. And so that kind of a shared sense of, I need to give that person grace, knowing that they have things that I don't comprehend in their situation and realizing they are trying, they're doing the best that they can in the situation that they're in. I think that that goes a long way toward um, being with someone in the midst of what they're dealing with and not judging them and, um, and assuming that they can't make it in life. Right. And I would add this to that, affirming everything you've said, that a person can be trying their best and it may not be the best way to overcome the struggle. And we have to differentiate between this person is not intentionally or aggressively seeking destruction, right? Or if it, even if it appears that they are, there's a reason for that that is not, um, that there's another factor there that's propelling them that way that goes beyond they're just a terrible person and I don't have to help them. And, and it moves us to this place where we can differentiate between this person and these circumstances and to move the problem from the person to either the circumstances or even the actions or the responses to the problem so that we can create this space of grace that doesn't just accept things the way they are, right, but also doesn't condemn the person who is struggling. And I think that's what has to be clarified in our thinking is that we do not condemn the person struggling. I mean, Jesus Christ says this himself in John 3, where he's like, I don't come to condemn the world because the world is already condemned. I'm coming that they might have life. I'm coming to, to help them in their condemnation and their struggle. And so I think it's really essential that we have these categories in place where the grace that we extend to others is not condemnation of themselves because of the struggles that they exist in, because there's a whole lot of factors involved in that. But it's also a grace that says, let's go toward flourishing together. L let's find the ways. Let's fix the problems insofar as we can. Let's move toward goodness together and not this kind of isolation while it's on you, bro. Right, right. I feel like that is such a good word here as we round out this conversation because that feels like a... Um, 
a call to let's survive together rather than I want to survive by ensuring that I get my share or something like that. Like, it's like, oh, no, we are all in this together. Like, let's let's work together. Here we are. We are all struggling in similar ways, maybe not exactly the same, but we all have the struggle. And so, yeah, I, I feel like this is um, really helpful as we move through this series is to have this sort of mindset of what the struggle is and, and how we approach it. Well, I think that does it for this conversation, this episode. But hey, everybody, be sure you come back um, next week as we move this conversation forward in our Finding Common Ground series. And should you want to talk more about the struggle that is this life, come to Twitter, because that's where you're going to find more struggles than anywhere, I think. (laughs) No, but we're on Twitter at Persuasion CAPC. You can come um, chat with us there. You can also chat with us in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum if you're a member there. If you're not, you can become a member for supporting um, Christ and Pop Culture for just $5 a month. You support this podcast and the other ones that we um, produce, as well as the articles and magazines and all the good work that's happening at Christ and Pop Culture. Thanks again to LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible for supporting this conversation. Persuasion is produced by Jonathan Clausen. It's part of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can find all those shows at ChristandPopCulture.com or search for them at iTunes. And thanks to all of you for listening to Persuasion. We will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.